Right on, right on, right on. Live right. Live right. In the real world. Right on radio. Right on radio. Right on. I love the intro to this thing, man. It just gets you in the atmosphere and attitude of wanting to dig into the scriptures and, and read God's word and just get excited about it. Uh, good afternoon or good morning here or whatever it is in, in your part of the country that you're watching this. Uh, this is a second uh, message I've done last month. Uh, I did it at my house because we were in the midst of a snowstorm. Guess what? Yep, we're in the midst of a snowstorm again, but I did make it over here. Um, last night it started raining. This morning was freezing rain, and now it's snowing. We're supposed to get upwards of 25 inches between today and tomorrow. So, man, maybe I shouldn't do these. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm a biker, and I want to get out there so bad. And I teased this a little bit uh, about a week and a half ago. With two, two days, we have 50 degrees, but we still have a ton of snow up here and getting a ton more today. So... Uh, please pre please pray for this area so we can get some sunshine and warmer weather so us guys who ride can get back on the road. But anyway, good day to you. God bless you all. Thanks for joining us today. Now, the last message I gave about a month ago, uh, we talked about uh, love one another. And what I want to do today is kind of ping off that and talk about unity because there's no unity if we don't love one another, right? And this kind of goes hand in hand. It's so important that during a uh, Jesus' last uh, high priestly prayer before he went to the cross there, uh, he prayed for unity uh, within the church, unity within his disciples, that they become one like the Father and the Son is one. So uh, I want to start out by reading a text in Acts. So if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. And if you hear noise in the background, it's the snow plows. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, at the, and at the sound of this multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And then it goes on to talk about the different languages. You can butcher them names as well as I. Uh, verse 11, Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked and says, They're filled with new wine. Amen. So Pentecost came, and they were together in one place. And all heck broke loose, right? Man, sounds like a, uh, these mighty rushing winds were coming into the house and these tongues of fire showed up above each one of them as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden they began speaking in other languages. Why? <laughs> well, it says in verse 5, it was because devout Jews from every nation were there in Jerusalem and Jesus had a message for them. All the Jews heard him speaking in their own language, man, and it tripped them out. 
tripped them out so much that they're like, you guys are drunk, right? So one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, and, and I love giving challenges, I love questions to meditate on God's word and, and meditate on what it means to us. The question for this is, are we so filled with the Holy Spirit that the people accuse us of being drunk? Or are we just mediocre Christians who see, uh, when people look at us, they see no difference in us than they do in any other people, right? How many times have you been accused of being drunk with the Holy Spirit? Or if someone even said, you know, what do you, what do you think about Brian here? Uh, you know, is he a Christian? Well, he, he doesn't act any different than we do other than I know he goes to church. But Peter told these guys, it wasn't strong wine, man. And he started preaching a sermon. Now, this is a great example for us, too, to, to take advantage of every opportunity to preach the Word of God. I always say, be prepared always to do three things, pray, preach, and die, right? Amen? So, Peter began this sermon based on the Old Testament book of Joel, which all the people in attendance were familiar with. At first, he spoke about King David being a, a descendant of Jesus, right? Then he spoke on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the people were amazed. Matter of fact, it says they were cut to the heart about what Peter said. And when they were like, what should we do next? Uh, here's Peter's words to them. He says in verse 38 and 39, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And then uh, he goes on in verse 40 to say, save yourself from this crooked generation. <laughs> Man, you say something like that today in the church and we're called judgmental or we're discriminating bigots, uh, even within the church, right? So this is just another great example for us to stand on the word of God. But anyway, there were over 3,000 souls saved that day. Let's look at verses uh, 42 to 47. And it says, And they devoted themselves to, what? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. And what happened as a result of that? And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believe, not some of these dudes, all of them, they had all things in common. And they were what? Selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And I wish we'd see this in the church today. And day by day, every day, attending the temple together. Not once a week, not on Sunday for worship and Wednesday for Bible study. Every day day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with a glad and generous heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And a result of that, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow, that's some, that's some great stuff, man. Oh, that our churches could be described that way, right? Can any of us really say that we have ever personally known or even heard of a church like this, let alone a mega church, right? Like this one, where we have over 3,000 people with people being added day by day by day. Now, the one thing the New Testament here makes clear is that the church is to be known for its love. Jesus says our love for one another that we talked about in the last message is the very thing that is going to attract the world. 
But I'm, I ask you this, can you name a single church that is known for its love? And you might say, yeah, our church is known for its love, but would others think that? Would your community say, what's up with that church over there in Drummond? You know, so what, are, what are they known for? Well, they, they come out and they do some uh, projects for us once in a while. And, and uh, you know, they might come to the doors and tell us about Jesus or whatever. But will the people out in your community outside of the church building say, man, them guys love people. <laughs> they love people. Now, I think we can come up with a lot of churches that are known for other things. They're known for the excitement there. They're known for some great preaching, especially churches known for their, their worship, right? But can you name a single church that is known for its supernatural love? The New Testament church here looked like one big family. But does God say that church should look like a family? Does God really expect us to be so close to people that we're not even related to? People we probably wouldn't even choose to be friends with? Because, man, it's natural to be close with our family, right? But it's not natural. It's unnatural to experience this kind of closeness with strangers. And a lot of people have a problem with that, right? And a lot of people have excuses. Man, I'm introverted and I don't really like being around a lot of people. But this is exactly the point. It's not supposed to be natural. It's supernatural, right? Listen, the phrase one another, it's mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. Love one another, admonish one another, pray for one another, and on and on and on. So why is it that we can't think of one church in our areas that, that, that is this way, that, that love this way and take care of one another this way? Jesus said in John 10, uh, 13, 34, as I have loved you, you also are to love the world or love one another. I'm sorry. As I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? Well, we can think of a lot of ways. He came to serve and he died for us. Are we willing to have that kind of attitude for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Our king, who allowed himself to be tortured and killed for us, tells us, I want you guys to be like that with one another. Have we even considered loving a fellow brother or sister as sacrificially and selflessly as Christ loved us? Come on, man, think about this. When was the last time any one of us looked at another Christian brother or sister selflessly wanting to bring him or her life no matter what the cost was. Listen, when you guys go to your church, I think these are Saturday nights, when you guys go to your local church gathering tomorrow, I want you to seriously bring this with you. Take a look around at the people in that, in that gathering. And it, it, there might be people in there that you don't know. Heck, there might be people in there you don't even particularly care for, right? Now, after you do that, especially with the people you don't particularly care for, whether it's because they're judgmental or they live in a sinful lifestyle, of course, yeah, you're perfect, right? But think about the lengths that Jesus Christ went to to bring each of those specific people unto himself. Think of the whoopings that he endured so that individual or those individuals could be forgiven. Imagine the way that Jesus thought of each of those people as he hung on that cross 
No sacrifice too great. There was nothing he held back for that individual. He did everything necessary to redeem and heal and transform each of those people that you don't know or you don't particularly care for. Guess what? He did the same thing for you. So who are you to hold back that love for anybody else? So ask yourself, when you look around that room of people, who does God want you to pursue? Who could you desire to spend more time with? Because Jesus went to the ultimate extent for him. Why would we hold anything back? Listen, man, we have experienced the greatest love in the universe. Shouldn't that love flow out from us? And shouldn't that be enough to shock the world? Amen? And Jesus said the whole purpose of our, our unity was what? Well, let's look. John 17, 23. Here's the purpose of our unity. So that the world may know that you, God the Father, have sent me, Jesus, and love them. <laughs> Man, unity ain't no easy task, right? Uh, you think of everything it takes for even our own family to stay together. All the acts of sacrifice, especially with our spouses that it requires, and all the forgiveness and grace that I got to constantly extend to my wife, and all the times when my personal desires have to be lovingly set aside for the desires of my wife. It's real easy for us to talk about unity, right? But it requires a kind of mutual commitment that's all but absent from our churches. And if we're going to see this become a reality, we need to start counting the cost and decide, am I going to commit or not? That's simple. There's no part way. There's no half in. There's no fence in. But to think, man, what would it look like? If we're not only excited to come to church and worship our great God together in the congregation, but maybe we come in an hour early and, and we stayed an hour later because we, because we had such love for one another that we wanted to spend time with each other, praying together and eating together and fellowshipping together. And here's the real kicker. John 13, 34 through 35. Some of these things in scripture you just don't even want to read, right? <laughs> A new command I give to you. That you love one another. How? Just as I loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This blows my mind because Jesus Christ actually gave unbelievers, <laughs> the, the unbelievers of the world, the authority to judge us on one thing. And this is the proof in the pudding. Right? Because you think Jesus would have said, uh, by this all men shall know you are my disciples, if you are fundamental in the faith. Or because you go to church every Sunday, or because you have more of the Bible memorized than anyone else. But none of those things convince the unsaved world outside. The world out here, if you haven't realized, is dying for one thing. A little bit of love. And Jesus says, this is how you're going to be known. Yeah, we can be known for our doctrine or our theology because that's what we believe. But what we believe is supposed to transform our lives so that the final test is who we are and how we live. Listen, man, the world ain't so much convinced of our religion or of our faith, of our gospel by its content as they are by its power. Because love, guess what, is the manifest evidence of a transformed life. Let me read another scripture here. Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
and the world is broken. Instead of people building porches and stuff out on their uh, on their front the front of their houses like they used to, you know, 40, 50 years ago, people are putting fences up and putting the porches in the back. Them are the new symbols of our age. We now live separated from God and from each other. But the real problem isn't the brokenness of the world. Hello, it's the brokenness of the church. We always want to put the problems out there. The problems are in here. And the truth of this is not only seen in the growing number of denominations and independent congregations and and even things like all these thousands of different motorcycle ministries and stuff that are out here. The real truth is in the brokenness of relationships within those congregations and ministries, including yours. Listen, I was released from prison 12 years ago. And I have been traveling for at least 11 of those 12 years all over the country, speaking at various churches and youth groups and all that. And I've been to many, many churches. And I have rarely seen one single body of believers that have not been divided into factions. It seems like issues of political control or, or, or numbers or jealousy of ministry start rearing their ugly heads when there's influence to be gotten. Money, numbers, jealousy, greed, power, and the list goes on and on and on. But here, let's, let's read a, a few more verses here. I, I love digging into the Bible. Galatians 6.2 reads, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. How are we doing with that? How are we burying them? Are we burying them, or are we creating them? Romans, Romans 14.19 reads, Therefore, let us pursue what the things which make peace and the things by which one may edify one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 reads, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. How many times you come into the church on Sunday and comforted the people and edified somebody? Guess what? That's what our gifts are for. Our gifts ain't for ourselves, it ain't for the world. The gifts is, is to edify the body of Christ. And if you say, even if you're a kid or a youngster and you ain't married yet and your pastor's going to be doing a, 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 a sermon or a series of sermons on marriage, you're like, ah, I don't need to go, I'm not married, that's not apply to me. Yeah, it, it may not apply to you, but you were given a gift to go up in that church that day and edify somebody. It ain't about you. Amen? Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 reads, But speaking truth in love, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself and love. And here's probably the most difficult one. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Man, the idea of dwelling together especially applies to the spiritual unity of us, God's people. A lot of Christians have been frustrated by the disunity of the church for a lot of reasons, but at the same time, there are Christians who do worship together. Their fellowship's a joy for everyone. Remember verse 47, having favor with all people? 
And that joy is rooted in one thing, and that's mutual commitment to working out difficulties and refining relationships. Our unity comes from the Spirit of God flowing over us like oil and, and, and the heavenly dew descending upon us, bringing God's blessing of life, eternal life, forever and ever. And it's only God's Spirit and His promise of eternal life that are going to break down the sin in our hearts crucifying that selfishness and making us one. As it says here in verse 1 of Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is. Now go and live in that. So what I want to end with is, what do we do with this? What does it take for us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only? And I think the passages that we covered in Acts answers those questions for us. We need to, to do more dwelling daily with one another and less dwelling with and in the world. Instead of hearing the messages that you hear on here on Saturday nights or, or at your church on Sunday mornings and letting them go in one ear and out the other, we, we can allow them to come into our ears, flow in through our brain, down into our hearts, into our hands and our feet, and out of our mouth. Jesus has given us all the power we need to make these things reality and not just sermons. The question is, how bad do we want them? Amen. God bless you all. I love you, but Jesus loves you more. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.